Greetings everyone, this is Lanton Dojo Podcast and this is the final episode in English of this season. At the beginning of this year, Lanton Dojo has officially become a member of Project Peace and the season 2 was dedicated to its members and its services. In the final episode, we have the Arlington County Police Department. From Lanton Dojo office, we are Noming and Gesser. And here's today's episode. How are you doing today? We have a huge pleasure of having Lieutenant Pilko with us today from the Arlington County Police Department. Thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Uh, could you please start with uh, introducing yourself and your you know, department? So, um, good evening. I'm Lieutenant Alicio Pilko. I'm with the Arlington County Police Department. Um, currently, I am in our community resources section. So I supervise two teams, um, the school resource officer unit and the community outreach unit. Okay. Um, so this, uh, we, Lantonokyo, we're doing the, the second season focused on the, on the project piece and its members. And, and, and this is the logical ending of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the, this police department being the member of, um, um, of this project main goal is to address you know variety of aspects of, of how to deal with domestic violence and and, and sexual assault and and you know he, the huge topic that um, that is very close to to our listeners is is uh, in how the things um, related to immigrant communities and and we had a extensive discussion during the event that uh, you um, attended. Mm-hmm. So um, could you talk a little bit more about um, how this, you know, what are common things that happen in immigrant communities? So uh, just to, to back up a little bit. Um, so as far as my involvement with Project Peace, um, and uh, I started working with Project Peace when I became the supervisor for our special victims unit. And mm-hmm. Special Victims Unit um, handles the investigations for uh, domestic violence, sexual assault, uh, adult children, um, among many other things. But um, domestic violence, um, you know, I got involved with Project Peace to kind of sort of see, like, how can the police do a better job or, or what do we need to do um, to make sure that we're providing um, all the services uh, that are available as far as the police department is concerned, and are we meeting the needs of our community? So um, with regards to domestic violence, uh, it starts with, at least for the police role, is for the community's understanding that, um, you know, domestic violence comes in many different forms, um, physical, psychological, um, you know, there's there's a lot of situations where men and women are, are being abused and we just want the public to know that they can get help. And even though the police department is involved in Project Peace as a law enforcement entity, we also promote a lot of the advocacy, a lot of the services that have nothing to do with somebody getting arrested. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Right. So a lot of times, you know, I think um, from our community, from our perspective, um, like I know when I got here from Guatemala, I came here when I was four years old. 
And growing up, um, I used to see a lot of um, the folks in my the Latino community um, kind of sort of not want to get the police involved for a lot of things, not just domestic violence, but, you know, most anything, um, because sometimes they were afraid that because of their status, and I grew up, you know, I knew people that, you know, didn't have uh, residency, and they were fearful of the police, you know, for that reason, but also they were fearful because the language, they couldn't speak English, a lot of officers back in the 80s couldn't, you know, late 70s, early 80s didn't speak Spanish, very few Spanish-speaking officers, very few services in the courts, you know, for um, Spanish speakers. And so, you know, you add that to the mistrust that a lot of Latinos have from our countries of law enforcement, mm-hmm. and it can create a situation for where a lot of folks feel like, you know, they can't get help for domestic issues. So, you know, to answer your question in a very, very long way, um, it, the police department just wants to make sure that everyone knows that there is help, even if it's just calling, you know, our non-emergency number, we can, you know, provide access to doorways, domestic violence hotline, you know, emergency housing, um, counseling over the phone through doorways, um, protective orders. There's a lot of things that, you know, we can get involved in that, you know, don't necessarily um, have to, you know, uh, involve police going to their house. But that being said, if police do need to respond for an act of physical violence um, or even a consultation by someone who's experiencing some domestic issues, that it does not matter what language you speak. It does not matter what your um, uh, immigration status is. You uh, have the same rights. Everyone has the same rights. um, And there should be no hesitation to call for fear. Okay. So to follow up on that information, I feel like a lot of immigrants are afraid that if they call law enforcement and somehow the police officers or somebody from that law enforcement will have to report them to like ICE about their immigration status. I, in my personal opinion, I don't think that specifically in Arlington County, Police officers, they don't do that. They're not required to, but I guess it really depends on the states. Would you be able to like, provide more information on when police officers are required to like, ask somebody's immigrant status or maybe even report it to the ICE? So, so, from, so I can speak from the Arlington perspective. I, I know that um, most agencies, if not all the agencies that I've worked with in Northern Virginia mm-hmm. and Maryland and D.C., there is no requirement that we have to call immigration for anyone that we come in contact with that doesn't have uh, legal residency or legal status, okay? Mm-hmm. There are some folks that when we come in contact with them, um, they have, uh, um, they're wanted by immigration for prior deported felon. Um, and those people have essentially arrest warrants out by immigration. So, so if they're, depending on the circumstances, you might have a situation where someone does get arrested, but it has nothing to do with the fact that they called to report domestic violence, a sexual assault, anything. Um, Typically when police go and intervene in any kind of an incident that has them 
make contact with someone. Um, we usually gather information from everyone. We run everyone through the database to see if we're dealing with someone that might have an arrest warrant out, that might have a protection order out, that might have uh, anything that you know would have to would, that we would have to worry about as far as the officer's safety, the person that we're with, their safety. So a lot of times when you hear people are like, oh, you know, the police are asking for your ID, they're asking mm -hmm. for your name, date of birth. As long as you give me a name and date of birth, if you don't have an ID, I, I take your word for it. You don't have an ID. Okay. Now, if I stop you and you're in a car and you say you don't have a driver's license, that's a different story. Okay. Uh, if I come into contact with you and I have a reason to be there and I ask for your ID and you say, well, I don't have an ID. I just have a name and date of birth. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I think, I think where we have the problem is that when people think that we're just asking people for their information just for the purposes of immigration. So, okay. so as far as the laws are concerned, um, the uh, police, you know, every jurisdiction is different, but federal law, as far mm -hmm. as, you know, people having um, arrest warrants out from immigration, um, if the situation presents itself where we are dealing with someone lawfully that we were there for a lawful reason because somebody called us or because someone committed a crime in front of us. And then we run that person through the national database and they come back with an immigration arrest warrant. They're a deported felon, gang member or something. Then we, mm -hmm. will usually, we will usually, for us, follow through with that. It's not a primary thing we do, but I, you know, I'm not gonna lie and say that we don't come across people that have arrest warrants from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Just to follow up with that, um, what would be some of the common mistakes that people, you know, do in response to that? And you wish that they were, you know, they perhaps understood your work more. Well, the first mistake, to be honest with you, is mm -hmm. not calling us, not calling. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, you know, I, I have to say, um, there are a lot of times when you hear folks that and, and listen, the police aren't perfect, okay? So Nobody's perfect, let's nobody's say. Nobody's <laughs> perfect. Um, but, you know, because some people call and they are like, oh, the police officer didn't speak my language. The police mm -hmm. officer didn't understand me. Um, we have no Mongolian-speaking officers. We've never had one. And mm -hmm. we would love to have one. Uh, and I can tell you that from my, my experience in 23 years, um, I've had to have conversations with a translator over the phone because we didn't have anyone to translate Mongolian. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so there's one thing right there, it's just basic communications. So people don't wanna call because we don't speak the language, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we don't understand culture either, okay? Because that's two different things, language and culture. So um, mistake number one, I think is not calling, okay? Mm -hmm. Mistake number two is not understanding what the police role is. If we're talking in the context of a domestic violence situation, so mm -hmm. one, one partner is being violent to another partner, and that partner is uh, in fear, needs the police, even if it's sometimes just to talk to them and say, hey, you know what, um, this person is being you know, uh, disrespectful, rude, whatever, we'll come in, we'll talk to both parties, you know, and most of the interactions we have um, don't result in arrest. Mm -hmm. So mistake number two is sometimes not calling and, you know, waiting until it gets bad, right? 
Um, but statistically speaking, a lot of domestic violence situations, when we do respond and there is an act of violence, it's not the first time. Yeah. Okay. So I understand, you know, that, that a lot of times it takes, unfortunately, repeated acts of violence before someone calls. So, you know, mistake number one, not, not calling. Mistake number two, not calling us soon enough because we can go there and we can be like, okay, we don't see any act of violence, but mm -hmm. would, you would you like to speak with a domestic violence counselor? Would you like emergency housing? Would you like a protective order? You know, what can we do for you, right? Mm -hmm. So that's mistake number two, not calling us quick enough. Mistake number three is when we do get there, there is an act of violence. Sometimes being afraid that the police are going to arrest everyone. And, you know, uh, I understand it's very difficult um, sometimes to watch someone that, that, you know, is the father of your children, the mother of your children, whomever, getting arrested and not understanding the process, not understanding, you know, just being overwhelmed, right? So I would say mistake number three sometimes is not understanding the process and, and the process of how the police are involved, not just domestic violence, but what the police role is here in, in Arlington, here in the United States. The, the police essentially, a lot of times, we're, we're referees, we're counselors, we're people mm -hmm. that you, know, you can call as a resource. Um, it's not just about locking people up, okay? And then another common mistake is when we ask for information, um, sometimes people lie about their name, they lie about their date of birth, mm -hmm. um, because they're afraid that if they tell the truth, even though there is no reason to fear that we're going to call immigration, they tell a lie. And so, I mean, to me, those are the big four things, you know, the, the, the lying to the police, it, you know, I, I always say there really is no reason to lie to us because, you know, tell us the truth, you know, and let us, you know, um, act accordingly. But when you lie, you're almost guaranteed to get in trouble. You know, because it's, it's an offense to lie. You cannot lie about your identity. So if you say your name is, you know, uh, Mark Smith and you're born 1-2 of 1970, but your name is really, you know, uh, Matt, you know, uh, Levy and your date of birth is 1231-79, you know, there's no reason to lie. And if you tell me you lied because you were afraid that, you know, because you're illegal, it, that does not, you know, that this should not come into your mind, at least in Arlington, um, because that's not what we're about. And uh, for the for the follow up question to that, I, I want to bring a, um, just a quick example. For example, in, in Mongolia, a lot of times families would be afraid to um, you know, call police uh, department because they think about consequences. Uh, for example, if if the if a partner is under intoxication, comes and you know um, uh, creates a scene, after police uh, officers take the person, mm -hmm. the, then the person will come back home, and and the situation is going to happen again, even perhaps even more severe, right? So my question is, what is what you know some of the maybe you know, structures uh, that you, you have that ensure that things doesn't happen again? So the, it, and it's a difficult situation because um, I, I know, I can tell you that I remember 
as a, a young person, I think I was maybe nine or 10 years old, and I helped uh, my mother move a friend during the day from a violent, uh, from a bad situation. So she was living with someone that was abusing her. And I remember going there in the middle of the day while he was at work and moving mm-hmm. her out. So I, I, I get it. I mean, it, it is, and I didn't understand it when I was a kid until like I got older and I became a police officer. And I was like, huh, you know, because I started seeing, you know, what domestic violence really was all about. And so it's difficult. I, I can tell you that I always tell folks at some point, you've got to make a decision for whatever reason, but a lot of times it's, it could come down to your life, you know, and you have to, to um, find in or start the process of healing, start the process of taking, you know, your life, uh, getting yourself out of that situation. So calling us, you know, is just one step in many. So as far as our officers, if we find reason to arrest someone uh, for domestic violence, then they get arrested. Um, a lot of times, depending on the circumstances, um, we'll get protective orders so they can't have contact for uh, a couple of days. And then they have the option to get an extended protection order, preliminary protection order, which is three weeks. And then you can get a, a, a um, further, a permanent protective order, which sometimes is two years or more. So that's, that's one thing, right? So we can provide protection through the uh, protective orders. Number two, we also get our other partners involved, like doorways, um, where they can find emergency housing. They can get, uh, maybe they might need an emergency loan. Um, they can help as far as like different other resources that um, can help that person start putting their life back together. We can contact Child Protective Services, if there's a child involved, um, they also have resources, counseling, especially because if kids witness domestic violence, um, you know, studies have shown that a lot of times that they're also vulnerable to either commit the violence or be mm-hmm. in abusive relationships. So it, it's a very comprehensive 360 um, response. The police play a very, very pivotal role because we're the ones that have the uniform, the badge, we're locking people up. Um, and, you know, but the resources that we can provide sometimes, you know, depending on how severe the assault was, we can take the person to, um, Innova fact and they can Mm -hmm. do a medical exam on them. And, you know, they also provide counseling services. They also can look into underlying medical issues also. Um, and, and, and cause a lot of times, you know, folks that are in these abusive relationships won't go see the doctor for other issues because they have marks, they have mm-hmm. um, bruising from, from abuse. So now you're talking about a situation where um, someone is able to see uh, a medical uh, a physician. And even though it's through a domestic violence act, you know, there are, are plenty of cases where people have found other medical issues that they were not aware of because they were afraid that if they went to the doctor, the doctor would call the police because they saw the bruising. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the police are the beginning of all of that. And, but also what's difficult is sometimes folks don't see past that. They just see the uniform. They see mm-hmm. someone getting arrested. Um, there's so many things that go into getting someone out of an abusive relationship. Um, but as far as like, you know, what you're talking about, 
when they take the person away, of course, there's going to be um, some folks that are going to be like, you know, I can only speak from my culture. They're going to say, man, you know, they're a nice guy. You know, they just made a mistake. They're, they don't usually do that when they're not drinking, you know, and, you know, who's going to pay the rent? Who's going to pay the car? You know, the kids love their dad, you know, and all these things, right? All I can say is that, you know, e each person has to find their, their way. Uh, each person has to, you know, um, hopefully with the help of all the people that I mentioned and all the services, be able to reconstruct their life and, and be in a healthy relationship where someone respects them and does not even think about using violence as a form of communication um, or retribution or anything conflict resolution, you know, but the police, you know, um, I, I, I wish I could guarantee, I wish I could sit there and say, yes, you know, you get somebody arrested and it's a guarantee that you're going to be, um, you're going to be okay. Right. All I can mm -hmm. say is that if you don't do something that you are far more likely to have a, a, a negative outcome to include death, not just to you, but also maybe to your children. So every person has to make that decision for themselves. You know, I hate to say that I can't guarantee, but very few things in life um, as a police you can guarantee. Um, all I can say is that, you know, if you call us and, you know, it's not just about locking somebody up and we will follow up. So if after the person gets released, they're bothering you, they're violating the protective order, you know, you give us a call, you know, if you need um, someone to come check something out because you see something in the parking lot, maybe they're stalking you or whatever, mm -hmm. call us, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I wish I, I could sit there and say it's easy to call the police for someone that you, you know, love and someone yeah. you care about, you know, um, it's not. And, you know, I wish I could sit there and say that, you know, they're all going to stay in jail and you know, you're never going to see them again. Uh, they're never going to bother you because it's not just that person too. It's their family sometimes, um, you know, and, and, and there's so many other ways that that person sometimes can intimidate the victim. So, but yeah, there are, there are protective orders. There are um, stalking orders. There are like a lot of resources as far as the police are concerned that, you know, uh, we can bring to bear if the person continues to bother them even after they've been arrested. Yeah. Well, I just, the way you talked was really great, like comprehensive, because we had um, our podcast with Inova, so they told us about their services, and also from our doorways, um, and I think it was Natalie told us that the one thing that the victims of domestic violence or someone who's in an abusive relationship, they should understand that they're not alone in it and you 100 mm percent -hmm. like thousand percent like reassured that that even like those people are not alone especially in our arlington county we we're kind of blessed because this area has a lot of financial resources to support mm -hmm. the people so that's it's great to hear that the, the police officers are out there as a like a chain agents of changes and protections mm -hmm. instead of just going out there or just uh, arresting someone. So it's great to hear that. But since we're talking about that, like um, arresting someone, I, I'm 
curious about what is the penalty or punishment for someone if they were caught on like if they were arrested for domestic violence case uh, a lot of the cases so um it depends on the severity of the act so mm -hmm. you might have it's a first class misdemeanor it's punishable by up to a year in jail um mm -hmm. and i think it's like a 25 100 fine but really each situation is unique because mm -hmm you might have a situation where there's severe injury, so it's a felony now. So that means it's up to five years um, mm -hmm. for like a malicious wounding. But then also you have uh, situations where you have the domestic assault, but you also have uh, a strangulation because maybe the person was uh, choked. You might mm -hmm. have a situation where the children were also abused. You might have a sexual assault. You might have a second, a third offense you might have uh, violations of protective orders. Um, you might have a stalking situation. So mm -hmm. each one in and of itself are very, very uh, unique and different. And also the circumstances, you know, you have um, some abusers that, you know, have done uh, a, a job on psychologically on their victim mm -hmm. that, you know, they go to court and they, you know, that's always a challenge at court, they minimize what happened, they don't want to testify. Um, and, you know, some reconciliation has happened and, and you know, they're like, oh, you know, he promised he never do it again. He's gonna go get counseling. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about how much time people actually spend in jail, it depends. I mean, if the person has a job, they've never been in trouble before, um, they don't mm -hmm. have an arrest record, they might be out that next day, okay? Mm -hmm. So, but if you have someone that has like, you know, criminal record, um, they don't have a job, they're a flight risk, you know, mm -hmm. it all depends. And then when you get to court, there's a lot of circumstances too. You know, you might have someone that says, you know what, I, I started going to counseling. Um, mm -hmm. It's a substance abuse issue. It's never happened before. So they might say, okay, how many days were you in jail? I was in jail for a week and then I got bond and then, you know, okay you know what, no jail time, you get probation. And, you know, so uh, I think some, you know, it probably would be a great idea if you get a chance to talk to a Commonwealth attorney, um, mm -hmm. that they can give you a little bit of insight because um, their challenge as well uh, is once we, you know, arrest the person, they also have to work with the, the victim. They have to put the case together. They have to, you know, work all these different parts uh, to get a successful conviction. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that's, there's so many different pieces. And, and I think that once the person goes to jail, depending on the circumstances, um, you know, you get a little bit closer to having that um, change in the victim's, you know, mindset, like, oh, you know what, um, I, I, I called, you know, everything went, uh, it was tough. But now I'm seeing, you know, the, the justice system working. I'm seeing, you know, the victim witness working. I'm seeing mm -hmm. all these different agencies, and and it's 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 um like it's a it's a process to start getting some closure and control back. Um, but you know, each case is. I wish I could sit there and say that, you know, every time someone gets arrested for domestic violence, they're going to do six months in jail. But mm -hmm. you know, every case stands on its own. But I will tell you this much though, if you do get convicted of a, a domestic violence, you can never purchase a firearm. There's mm -hmm. a lot of serious implications. Um, some folks, you can't get a um, clearance, a security clearance. So the conviction 
comes mm-hmm. with a lot, comes with a lot. So um, I think it's not just a matter of, of the jail time because sometimes, you know, you put somebody in six months in jail, they get out, you know, and if they didn't do anything worthwhile while they were in jail, just sat there and, and were angry, they can mm-hmm. commit further crimes. So, you know, it's also sometimes, you know, you might want somebody to be in jail a little bit longer if they have a substance abuse issue or maybe it, like our jails, um, it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, if a sheriff, if you interview the, the commonwealth attorney and or a victim witness or sheriff, and they could tell you about the programs they have inside the jail um, mm-hmm. to also help people out, you know, and so, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's very interesting. It really sat- depends. Yeah. 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 So, Lieutenant, you mentioned that um, you came to this country when you were very, very uh, young from Guatemala. And, and I'm reading here that you served uh, in the police department for more than 20 years. Um, if you don't at me, mind me asking a personal question, when did you decide to, uh, to be a police officer? So, no, it's not a problem. Um, so I graduated from, so I went to, I lived in Arlington most of my life um, since I got here. I, I was in D.C. for about a year, and then I came uh, to Arlington. I was about five, almost six, mm-hmm. and I went to school, all elementary, middle, and high school, graduating from Wakefield High School in 88, okay. and uh, I joined the Marines. Um, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, from 88 to 95 enlisted and it really wasn't until I probably got towards the end of my um, college because I went to college after the Marines Um, it was about like 96 that I started thinking about a career in law enforcement but to be honest with you um, you know I just uh, do I wanted to work in the schools as a school police officer Mm -hmm. Um, one of my jobs that I did while I was going to George Mason was I worked at the old Jeb Stewart High School and I ran, so I, I put myself through college. Um, I paid, you know, the Marine Corps gave me some money, but, you know, I worked full time, went to school full time. And one of my jobs while I was going to school full time was working at Jeb Stewart High School. And I worked uh, for Fairfax County at the, at the high school and I also worked in the community. I worked uh, part time, I ran a teen center in the evenings in the Colmore neighborhood, um, 96, 97. And then I worked at the school and I was the Hispanic parent liaison mm-hmm. um, during the day. That was my full-time job. And I wrote a, a Spanish newsletter um, and I did Spanish parent meetings. I translated for parent meetings for the counselors, whoever needed it. But I was very impressed with the school police officer. And it was an interesting environment. Um, he was a not a Spanish speaker. Um, he was Caucasian, uh, white male, and the kids, he got along with them. He understood them. And it was amazing because, you know, they could have easily have taken advantage of him, um, not knowing the language, because it was a mo- mainly a Hispanic uh, um, uh, kids, where it was a large population of Hispanic kids that did not speak English. So, um, and the community uh, was in Colmore during the 90s was very tough, a lot of gang issues. I got involved in um, some, some stuff with regards to trying to get kids out of gangs. Um, so anyways, long story short, I wanted to work in the schools as a police officer. So I applied with Fairfax 
I applied with Arlington and um, I also applied with the border patrol <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, cause I, I mean, I had Marine time and, you know, the border patrol was um, offering to take the Marine time. So I, you know, I would already have seven years in, but um, it didn't work out for the federal. Thank goodness. I got job offers, but you know, it was after I started as a police officer in Arlington. I got the Arlington offer in 97. Um, and then I became a school police officer in 2002. And I did it for like seven, almost eight years until I got promoted uh, to sergeant. But um, I, I just wanted to work in, in the schools. Uh, I coached soccer um, as well. Um, and I ended up doing that when I was a school police officer. And, but it was really to work with youth um, to give back to the community a little bit. Um, to be able to, you know, um, have people see a familiar face, like, you know, when you walk through the door and they, you know, it's a Spanish speaking household and they see someone that speaks the language, it isn't always going to be perfect, but it, 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 you know, it's a little bit less stressful and you're helping. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does. Um, how... You know what would be, and if there if there are any some of the misconceptions and stereotypes that people would have about police department. Um, to be honest with you, I think that sometimes the the police are viewed as they're just there to lock people up. They're there to tell people don't do this, don't do that. They're um, insensitive. They're bullies. They're not nice. They write tickets. Um, you know they'll. They're the immigration police, whatever, you know, it's negative, like, like, you know, people just don't trust the police because, you know, they see things on TV where the police lock people up and it's the wrong person or, Mm -hmm. you know, the police hit someone and, you know, uh, then people are like, why did you hit them? Why did you shoot them? There's a lot of misconceptions because police work is very, very public. It's very you know, you, you see someone standing in front of you with a badge, a uniform, a gun, and, it, you know, this image, right? You know, depends on our background. You have a lot of people that look at the police and they're like, eh, they're the guys that give me a speeding ticket, right? Then there's other people that look at the police and they're like, mm, depending on their background, that's the person that could, you know, cause them harm. So, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, speaking from, from my perspective, you know, from our countries, you know, you had police officers that are corrupt. You have police officers that will ask for money instead of giving you a ticket. You have police officers that will kill people, you know, because they're working for the drug cartels. I mean, you, you name it. You know, we can all think of examples of bad police from, you know, outside of the U.S., yeah. And if you're talking about our population, our you know immigrant population, you know that that coupled with what they see on TV sometimes about you know uh, the racial tension sometimes between police um, and some communities, and then they're like, oh my gosh, you know, why do I want to call the police, or why would I want to even have an interaction with the police? Mm-hmm. But Speak- I would say, go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Um- I was just going to say that uh, you just mentioned how, how people learn things from media. How do you feel like, uh, you know, how fair do you think the media portrayal of police officers 
that people, you know, that people see all the Trail. time. I'm sorry. Well, so, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear okay. you. So um, I think the media portrayal, to be honest with you, is not, it's not fair. And, and that's just from my perspective. But yeah. I really can't worry about it too much, to be honest with you, because, you know, how many things in life are fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that, you know, all I, so I, I tell my officers, right? I say, listen, whether a camera is recording you or mm -hmm. whether you're wearing a camera, you conduct yourself as if it were. You conduct, what is that expression? You do, the, you do what you're supposed to do and you do it whether somebody's looking or not. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, you know, I would say that the media, they have a job to do, right? They have a, like, you know, a job to report to the public what they think the public wants to see, right? Some yeah. people are like, well, the media creates the news nowadays, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, all I can sit there and say is, you know, I, I try to do the best that I can. I try to treat people, you know, as if I, you know, um, they were my family, you know, and, and I, I try to treat people fairly. Um, I'm human, you know, and I always tell people that the media sometimes captures police as other than human, right? Yeah. Um, and every once in a while, you'll see the, the media do a nice story about a cop that's dancing in uniform or a cop <laughs> that's buying somebody a toy for Christmas or something. And, you know, it's great because we need to get that out there. But if you look at the, I think in the United States, there's like less than a million police officers. I think it's like 800,000, maybe 900,000. And our population is what, like 350, 360 million? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so police are less than 1% of the population, right? I'm, I'm not great at math, but I'm thinking they're less than 1% of the population. Okay. So when you look at the police that are working every day, they have millions of interactions. And the vast majority, you know, are police just doing their jobs, you know, uh, treating people the way they're supposed to be treated and not looking for any accolades, not looking for anything other than just to go home safely and hopefully someday retire, you know, but I know that personally, I think the media sometimes just does not give you the full picture. And it's very difficult to give you the full picture if you only have 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, I would say, you know, uh, like anything else, right? You know, um, the media does what they do. They'll, they're, they'll always do what they do. But um, I don't worry so much about being recorded. I don't worry about anything. Somebody asks me a tough question, I'll answer it, you know? And if mm -hmm. I don't have the right answer, you know, it, it, it's, if I don't know, you know, um, I try not to, not to talk about things that I don't know about. If I don't know something, I'll say I don't know. Um, if it's something that I should know, then, you know, shame on me. But, you know, it, sometimes I think people worry too much about what the media is all about. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Then, you know, I, I have no problem with the media, you know, but I think sometimes we, we make it a little too much more than it should be, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And plus, it seems like all the negative news kind of like remains in someone's memory longer than the positive one. So right. and, and it's just a remember, human nature. <laughs> yeah. And remember, you know, I, I always talk about like, look at the, the good that people do, right? You mm -hmm. know, uh, and, and like what you folks are doing with trying to get information to your communities, 
you know, trying to just educate people um, and be as supportive as possible, you know, knowing the limitations sometimes, you know, uh, and I know my limitations sometimes I, you know, my, my coworkers sometimes are like, well, you know, you, you should have been a social worker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 but I, but I tell you what though, every single cop in some way is a social worker. So, you know, I always tell them, I, you know, and it's amazing. Cops are very generous people. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen cop, I've seen cops buy coffee, you know, uh, food for homeless people. I've seen cops buy toys for kids you know, uh, during yeah. the holidays, I've seen cops, you know, help someone that lost their house, get some clothes to them, you know? So I, I think the people that want to be police genuinely have a very unique personality that, that sometimes the media just doesn't understand. And it's easier to focus on certain things about being police that the public, they feel, wants to see but at the end of the day i can't control that all i can control mm-hmm. is my actions and the actions of the officers that, that i work with and work for me okay i remembered the question that i wanted to ask earlier it was I mean, you use the protective order and i know about restraining order is it a two different thing or can you know i mean I, I i think sometimes people get the the words uh it's pretty synonymous it's pretty much the same thing so i won't use the word restraining i mean i've never dealt with a restraining order i've dealt with protective order Mm -hmm. so there there might be a thing called the restraining order but i as far as the police work i've always dealt with restraining orders i'm sorry um protection orders Mm -hmm. emergency protection orders preliminary protection orders and um emergency protection orders so got it Okay. Um, so you said that uh, you've never had Mongolian-speaking uh, police officers. No, uh, sir. But what if someone wanted to pursue this path? Uh, what would be some of the career opportunities? So, um, well, you know, if you check out our website, um, and it'll give you a little bit more information about the requirements. But the career opportunities, I mean, you name it, um, mm-hmm. uniform police, detective um you can work in our special operations section crime scene unit um you know you can become a supervisor you can work as a school police officer uh you can there's so many different assignments within the police department you can work in and you know i I would be extremely excited to see someone um from mongolia or mongolian descent or even mongolian speaking you know um because it is just is not a population that I think that um, we have been able to reach the way I wish we could reach. Um, because when I used to work midnights, we used to have um, you know some occasions where we would come across uh, or folks that would come call us and they were Mongolian speaking. And it was just like, it crushed me because it was so hard. You, you, you could see where the need was, you know, mm-hmm. and if it was a domestic violence situation, and you're trying to talk to someone that is in a crisis situation and you're, you know, you, you can't even get like the basic information without having to call someone on a phone that is sitting at some desk somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it, I mean, it's just frustrating. So I would say if somebody wants to do it, you know, um, there are, you know, the requirements, I think we talked about it before of um, the U.S. citizenship. Um, you know, it doesn't matter the age, 
um, just be able to pass the physical requirements, the background checks. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, if, if anyone's ever interested, please give them my information. You know? So they um, have to be a citizens, right? Yes, yes. And that's something that, you know, I don't make the rules. Um, yeah. I, I know some places they, they, you know, they don't require that, but um, yeah, that's one of the requirements. Um, unfortunately, our episode is coming to its end and I have this, you know, I, I usually ask this last question, but before that, Nomi, do you have any other questions? Uh, well, the only question I had in my mind is, I, you know, the, the victims of, uh, victims of the crime, they could apply for U visa and how does the Arlington County Police Department cooperate with the other, like maybe the victim's attorney or in, in someone so out the, there who's helping it? What does right. the procedure look like? So usually um, the involvement, when I was in the Special Victims Unit, um, so speaking about domestic violence and sexual assault cases, the victim, witness, whoever was involved that was pursuing a U or T visa um, mm -hmm. for trafficking as well, um, the, they would usually go through an attorney and the attorney would submit the paperwork. Um, mm -hmm. The police department's role is we would just sign off and say the person was cooperative. Um, and really, to be honest with you, you know, it is a, um, a very unique opportunity um, to really just kind of, sometimes you have situations where folks were brought to this country um, mm -hmm. and now their abuser, you know, they might've come here together, everything was fine or they met someone here. And so one of the reasons, one of the things that sometimes the abuser does is say, oh, well, you know what? If you get me arrested, you're gonna get deported, you know? And so sometimes you have situations where you're able to offer someone. So the police department doesn't get involved in anything else other than saying that, yes, you know, so-and-so made a report. Yes, they, they were involved in the process. They were cooperative and that's it. Mm. So our recommendation really isn't like, should they get the visa or should they not get the visa? It's, you know, was the police, was that person, you know, cooperative and is there any issue, you know, with their role in, you know, the investigation and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not a very common knowledge thing um, mm -hmm. because also, you know, the, the police department, I'm sorry, the Commonwealth attorney's office also is involved. Um, and at the end of the day, um, it, you know, if someone has questions about that, they probably should consult with an immigration attorney. Mm -hmm. They can explain because it's a very lengthy process and there's a lot of pieces involved. Um, but yes, sometimes the, the, the police department does have to sign off on um, uh, that process. Yeah. Our uh, last question would be, um, if there's one thing that you want, you would want the listeners remember from today, what would be, what would it be? Honestly, is um, reach out, talk to someone. You know, uh, I, I think sometimes people, you know, you've heard that expression, suffer in silence. Mm -hmm. And they feel like, especially when you come to a country, you don't speak the language. Well, I'm being presumptive. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have folks in our communities that don't speak the language, right? So mm -hmm. I don't want to say everyone doesn't speak English. But, yeah. you know, um, it, <laughs> you you have a difficult time communicating because you either you don't speak the language you don't speak it well enough or you don't understand the culture or a combination of all three 
my recommendation, the number one thing to do is do not suffer in silence. Do not have, um, have reach out to someone, it, even if it's the police department to get you in touch with different advocacy groups, different domestic violence hotline, doorways, um, you know, don't feel like you're there, you're in this by yourself. Um, don't feel like, you know, that, that you can't get out of the situation you're in. Um, you know, there, there is help, you know, um, and there's a lot of people that are willing to, to offer that help. Um, so I would just say, you know what, reach out, um, you know, let us, let us try to, you know, help you and don't be afraid of the police. Um, we really are here to, to help. And, you know, it's difficult, but you know what, start with that phone call. And it doesn't necessarily mean that a police officer will come to your house. But if you pick up the phone and you call our dispatch, they know they have, they know that if someone calls and has questions about sexual assault or domestic violence, that they can refer them to doorways. And they know that the language ability is there if they don't speak English. Um, and they know that they don't have to send a police officer um, to the house if the person just wants to get information on what can I do if somebody's abusing me? Mm -hmm. So that, I hope that answers your question. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Julie, especially during this challenging, you know, times with the virus. Oh, I know. And, and, you know, I got to say, you know, just remind your listeners that, you know, during these challenging times, uh, we have a lot of, what scares me is that a lot of folks that already were in bad situations will not mm -hmm. do anything because, you know, it's even worse now with financial situations, with, you know, housing, you name it. So especially now, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. The services are still there. There's different procedures, right? Mm -hmm. But the services are still there. If you need help, the police will still come to your house. If you need emergency housing, if you need medical attention, you know, if you need to speak to someone on the hotline, the domestic violence or sexual assault hotline, the translation services, it's all still there. Okay. That's great to hear. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, that was great. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you I so have much. like a million other questions, but it's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, um, but yeah, let me know if in the future, like I said, if you come across someone that's interested in the Korean law enforcement, you know, and it doesn't have to be with Arlington. I'd love to see someone go to Alexandria or Fairfax, yeah. you know, um, but yeah. And, or if someone has any questions uh, that you think I could help, just let me know. Yeah, that would be interesting. All right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right, you guys stay safe and keep up the good work. You too. You too. Thank you so Thank much. You. You're welcome. You guys take care. On this episode, we had a huge pleasure of speaking with Lieutenant Pilka from the Arlington County Police Department. We hope that the information was of high value. This season was dedicated to members of Project Peace. And we hope to see you back with us with season three. And from London Dojo office, we were Noming and Gesser. Thank you and have a great day.